Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. This week we continue our series, Changing the Way You Think, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. And today's message is brought to us by our lead pastor, Mike Yearly, and it's entitled, Conflict. Well, good morning. Wow, 4th of July already. We're halfway through the year. I hope you've got great plans uh, for the 4th. And uh, isn't it great to live in this country? So thankful for that. What a, what a privilege and a blessing to, to be in the land of freedom. And uh, so grateful for that. And I encourage you, if any of you are on the edge of that VBS thing, you're like, ah, should I be a crew leader or not? We really could use your help and tremendous ministry opportunity. And so just encourage you on that. But today we're going to be uh, continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, my name is Pastor Mike. And uh, inside of your bulletin, we call it a weekend view here, there is a white message note sheet. And if you're a regular here, you know the drill. But if you're new, uh, you want to pull that out so you can follow along with our time of teaching today as we go through God's Word. And and also, if you want to get a head start, take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians 6, where we're continuing our study through. And if you're new to Rocky Peak, uh, we really encourage you to uh, get a Bible. Uh, uh, Costco is my favorite place. Sam's Club, you know, like it's NIV study Bibles, just... Uh, what, 35 bucks? Best investment you'll ever make. And uh, so I don't know if they're open on the 4th, but you can probably get one tomorrow on the 3rd. It's my guess. Uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing on this time as we go into his word. Father, thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you that, that we're, we're your church. God, thank you that we're your people. And we come together in your name today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we gather. Lord, and you promise that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that you are there in the midst. And so we come, Lord, not just because it's a habit. We come not just because it's a Sunday. We come in your name as your people to gather around your feet. We pray your spirit would be here to open our eyes as we talk about this incredibly important topic of conflict and how to work through conflict in our life. Lord, we pray that you teach us as a church today as we come to listen to you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this series that we have been in for a while now uh, in 1 Corinthians, Changing the Way You Think. And today we come to a very important topic of conflict and how we deal with conflict in our lives. This was a huge issue for the Corinthians. They just weren't very good at this. They'd come to Jesus, but remember, they hadn't changed the way they were thinking in so many areas of life. And so they were still experiencing the same issues that they had before they came to Christ. And one of these areas was a conflict. Um, they lived in the midst of a very litigious society, much like our society. Uh, suing uh, was a way of life, you know, it's kind of a, a hobby or whatever. And uh, and so, you know, it's kind of like our country. You th- hear the, some of the crazy lawsuits. Remember that lady a while back who uh, uh, drank her uh, coffee too fast at uh, McDonald's and now she's a millionaire or something. Uh, uh, you remember one of my favorites years ago, I remember a guy was uh, was breaking into a school. I think it was in the L.A. Uh, school district. He's breaking into a school. He was on the roof. Remember this? He fell through the sky roof and he sued them because it was not safe conditions. And, he, and it's like, what are you talking Talking about, you know, it's like if I was a judge, I'd like lock him up. You know, <laughs> he's out of here. <laughs> uh, make more skylights like that, uh, whatever. Uh, but we we live in the midst of this crazy litigious society, and they were much the same way. In fact, they brought that attitude into the church. And so what happened is they were actually suing each other in church. You know, welcome to my life group. I don't like your dessert. I'm suing you. <laughs> and so, uh, so uh, anyway, the apostle Paul says, "What are you thinking?" Give me a break here, aren't you? You're Christians, you're followers of Jesus. We follow the Prince of Peace, not the Prince of Conflict, you know? And so, um, and so what are you thinking here? We've got to learn how to do this differently. And I'm so glad that they were struggling with this because it raises a very important issue for us. You know, I've come to the conclusion in my life that there's like two or three lessons in life that are just the most important in terms of relationships and things like that. And one of the most important issues is how to deal with conflict. You know, that our ability to deal with conflict will determine our health as a church. Your ability to deal with conflict in your marriage will determine the health of your marriage. Your ability to deal with conflict in your business will determine the the health of your business. It's just, it's right there that the ability to deal with conflict is one of the most important lessons in all of life. So I'm so glad they were struggling with it because he gives us some great tips on how to deal with it. So if you've got your Bibles uh, and you haven't done so already, you were ignoring me before, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to start at verse 1. We're going to go through the first 11 verses today, and we'll split it up into a couple sections. You notice there in your note sheet, first section is called lawsuits in Corinth. They're taking one another to court. And then the second section is called, what are you thinking? <laughs> so uh, let's jump in. Chapter 6 and verse 1. 
He says, if any of you has a dispute with another, uh, in other words, you have a conflict with someone else in your church, uh, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of uh, before the saints. Now, the ungodly is just Paul's word for non-believers, people who've not yet given their life to Christ. A saints is just Paul's word for people who have been called to be followers of Jesus. Uh, if you're a Christian today, in Paul's language, you'd be called a saint. And so he says, when you have conflicts, so you're really going to take them before non-believers to help resolve them. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints, Christians, they will judge the world? Now, here's the interesting thing. I don't know if you knew this about yourself. But if you're a follower of Jesus, did you know that someday you're going to actually help Jesus uh, judge the world? Uh, You're actually going to be, I don't know what kind of panel it's going to be. The Bible doesn't tell us all the details. But the Bible is very clear is that when a person gives their life to Christ, not only are we changed from the inside out, but we have a new destiny. And part of that destiny is that one day you and I will actually help Jesus evaluate, judge the, the world, judge people. And it's like crazy. How crazy is that? But, but you and I, I mean, we can't even decide what to have for breakfast, right? And we're going to decide how to judge the world. And beyond that, we'll see in a, in a minute, he goes on and he says, not only that, we're actually going to be evaluating the angels on their performance. You know, so we're going to be doing job reviews to angels someday. And so his point is going to be, so if you're one day going to judge the world, if you're one day going to be judging angels, don't you think you can work out some conflict in your church? So he says in verse 2, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if you judge the world, are you not competent to judge these trivial cases in your church? Do you not know that we will judge angels? Amazing. How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes or conflicts in your church about such matters, appoint as judges even men of little account in the church. You know, pick out some some uh, people to be arbitrators. Now, I say this to shame you. Is it possible there's nobody among you, they're at Rocky Peak, <laughs> is it possible there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? He says, there's got to be some people in your church that are wise enough, if you're really, instead of going to court, there's got to be some people, you sit down, get an arbitrator, let's just this thing's figured out. Verse 6, but instead, one brother goes to law against another brother, see it's a family matter, and this in front of unbelievers. You've got to be kidding me. You're going to go down into the city square there in Corinth because the court cases were held outside in open air. Everyone could listen in. You're going to go down to the city square and you got two people from Rocky Peak are suing each other and calling each other's names and saying, you ripped me off. No, I didn't. And in front of non-believers. He says, that's crazy. You're driving, you're taking Christ's name and dragging it through the mud. We're supposed to be the new people of God who learn how to get along. Okay? So he's, he's not real happy with this. Verse 7, now the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. He says, I know you're going to court. You're going to court so that you can win. He says, can I tell you something? It doesn't matter whether you win or lose in court. When you take a brother to court, you've lost already because you haven't learned how to resolve the conflict in your midst and because of this bad testimony that you're giving. Middle of verse 7, why not rather be wronged? Well, we'll come back to that later. Why not rather be cheated? Just take it on the chin. I mean, that'd be better than going to court in front of non-believers and ruining Christ's name. Verse 8, instead, look what you yourselves, you're cheating and you're doing wrong. And you're doing this to your brothers and members of the family of God. Now, if this were a magazine article, Paul would do a sidebar right here, Okay. Uh, the next few verses, kind of in a sidebar, he's, he's taking a time out. He's been talking to him for six chapters. And he just needs to pull him aside and say, can we just talk turkey here? Can we just be honest here? He says, do you really want to follow Jesus in your life, Church of Corinth? I, I don't get this. I mean, we've, you're fighting over leadership. You've got blatant sexual sin going on that you're winking at and not dealing with, chapter five. You're now, you're taking each other to court you're cheating and robbing each other. Do you really want to follow Jesus in your life? Are you really into this or not? <laughs> I know you're a church and everything, but are you serious about following Jesus? Or are you not serious about following Jesus? So he's going to do a little time out here and just challenge them with some basics of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So in verse 9, we move in this section, so what are you thinking? 
Are you going to follow Jesus or not? Okay, verse 9. <laughs> okay, are we ready? <laughs> All right, verse 9. So here he says, Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, what's up with you? Have you sort of forgotten the first, first step, the ABCs of following Jesus? The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's just like basic Christianity 101. The wicked, those who are rejecting Christ's leadership in their life, they're not going to heaven. This is like the 101 of Christianity. You know, when Jesus showed up on the scene, we burst on the scene, the start of his ministry, he had a message. The Gospels record it. You may remember this. It says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember his message? Repent, the kingdom of God. What Jesus says, God is up to something new. God is creating a new kingdom. God's on the move. And if you want to get a, be a part of what God is a part of, you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to leave your old ways behind. And you're going to have to do life a new way. So if, you had, if the kingdom of God was like a building, let's say like a castle, over the, the door, or entering into the castle, there would be a sign that says, repent. The only way to get in on what God is into is to repent. We have to leave the past behind, and that's the first step of following Jesus. That, hey, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm going to stop doing my life your way, I'm going to, my way, I'm going to do life your way, repent, the kingdom of God. And so Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, are you forgetting the basic principle of following Jesus. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, you guys, you're looking wicked to me. <laughs> you're fighting. You're suing one another. You're cheating one another. You're sleeping around. He says, have you forgotten the first principle? Repent. Now, just, in, just to make sure that he, they know what he means by wicked, he's going to define it for them, okay? So we have one of these sin lists that we... See, throughout the, the New Testament, sort of a shorthand way of saying, hey, it's just a way to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus. Verse, verse, uh, middle verse 9, do not be deceived. Now, remember what we said, we said in chapter 3, when the Apostle Paul says, don't be deceived, it's always because we're in danger of being deceived. All right? So, so don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, now this is what he means by wickedness, nor idolaters, he'll talk about that more in chapter 10, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. He's kind of spelling out here what he means by wicked. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. They're not getting in. They're not going in. This is, this is kind of rule number one. Right? Defining it. Now here's the cool thing though. Look what he says next. And that is what some of you were. See, this is the great thing about following Jesus, is that Jesus doesn't really care about where you've come from. Your name can be in that list. Fine. You're adulterer. Fine with Jesus. He can deal with that. You know, oh, I'm a homosexual offender. That's okay. Jesus can deal with that. Oh, I'm a thief. That's fine. Gate, the, open, the door is open to the kingdom. You see? There's nothing that will stop you from going into the kingdom except the unwillingness to repent. You see? You have to go through the door of repentance. And so so what Paul is basically saying is, hey, Corinthians, are you in or are you not? Are you going to follow Jesus or are you not? He says, that's what some of you were, but you were washed. Jesus came into your life. He cleaned you up. You were sanctified. Jesus came into your life. He set you apart. He's got a new purpose and a new destiny. You were justified. Jesus came into your life and you were forgiven. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. It's a supernatural thing. That God is able to come into a life, doesn't matter how messed up it is, doesn't matter how dysfunctional it is, doesn't matter where we've been or what we've done, Jesus is able to come into a life and transform a life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? He says, but, but, we have to be willing to be transformed. We have to be willing to repent. And so he's challenging them that uh, Corinthians... From what I'm seeing, I'm starting to raise questions. Are you really serious about this following Jesus or not? Now, in the, the next section here, I want to get real practical and talk about dealing with uh, conflict uh, in our lives. And there's a section there called the uh, Conflict 101, Coping with Conflict in the Church. Now, what Paul is going to say in this passage, we're going to pull out a couple principles. 
that when you're having conflict with a brother or sister in Christ, you actually have a couple different options of how you handle it. Uh, it's up to you how you want to handle it. He's going to give us two options. Now, most of these principles are going to apply to conflict in any situation, whether it's with a believer or not. Okay, But um, in this passage, he's talking specifically about conflicts with believers. Okay, So that's what we'll, the angle we'll be looking at here. So let's say that you're in a life group and someone does something that just ticks you off. Fred is just rude to you. Okay, or He's rude to your wife. Uh, uh, Joe says he'll show up to help you at an event. He doesn't even show, doesn't even call. Um, uh, Frank uh, runs a business. Uh, he fixes, he does repairs on bathrooms. You, 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 uh, you have a problem, you want to remodel your bathroom. He does the remodel, does a lousy job, but takes your money, never comes back and fixes it. So you got a conflict that's going on. So in the body of Christ, um, someone says they'll bring a good dessert and they don't. Something major, you know. Um, you got a conflict. How do you cope with conflict in the church? All right. Couple prints, couple options, okay? Two options. Here's option number one. Now, this is going to seem kind of obvious, uh, but just hang with me, okay? You can't say duh. All right. Option number one, move towards it and seek a solution. Of like a positive solution. Move towards it and seek a solution. This is the first option that Paul says. You're in a conflict with a believer. You move towards a person. You say, can we work this out? You seek a solution. Now, some of you are saying, like, why did they come to church? I could have figured that out on my own. But here's the thing. What I've noticed in life is, and this just seems obvious, doesn't it? You have a problem with someone, you go to them and say, Fred, you're like rude, you know? You're rude to my wife, you know? Can we talk about that? I mean, it just seems like, why wouldn't you do that, you know? But have you noticed how seldom we do this? What we do is we go to Frank and say, can you believe what Fred said to my wife? He says, I can't believe it. So have you talked to Paul? I haven't talked to Paul. Hey, Paul, can you believe? But, you know, I, I was talking to Frank about that. I can't believe that either, you know? And so this goes on for a while. Then we call someone on the phone. What do you think we should do about this? You know, Fred was rude to my wife. This could get out of hand. Next, he could be rude to your wife. Yeah, I don't think that's acceptable. Let me talk to Pastor Mike. I'll call Pastor Mike and ask him, what should we do with Fred? Who's, you see, this is what we do, right? And pretty soon we're like, hey, we're in another life group now because we can't handle Fred anymore. I've got a prayer request. I'm working through a conflict with Fred. Uh, could you all be praying for me with Fred? You see, what did he do? Oh, he was rude to my wife. It's unbelievable. Really? He said that to your wife? You see? So this is how the body of Christ typically deals with conflict, right? It becomes a prayer request. <laughs> Isn't this true? And so the most simple thing is to go to Fred and say, Fred, why did you say that? Same thing rude, but we don't do that. And so what seems obvious you're going to move towards it and look for a solution becomes the last thing we usually do. We will withdraw. We will gossip. We will slander. We will attack. In fact, that's what the Corinthians did. They were attacking one another, taking each other to court. Okay, you know, like, oh, we'll take you to court, you see. We'll do anything but just move towards it and look for a solution. So that's the first option he gives us. And he, he uh, take your Bible and took the, uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 6. And he says, uh, 1 Corinthians 6 in verse uh, uh, 4 and 5, this is what he says, move towards it. Therefore, if you have disputes or conflicts about such matters, appoint as judges, get some arbitrators, move towards it. Middle of verse 5, is it possible there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute among believers? So he says, hey, you can't get along, you got a conflict, get some arbitrators, let's move towards this thing, let's look towards a sol- let's look for a solution. Now, this was actually building off some teaching Jesus gave about conflict. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we've got to go see what he says about it. So take your Bibles, go to uh, Matthew chapter 18. Now, we were there last week. If you were here last week, uh, we were there last week looking at it for a different reason. But let's go to Matthew 18, see what Jesus says about conflict. And we'll see the same principle. You move towards it, you look for a solution. So he says, chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, okay, so Fred makes the rude comment about your wife, your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just go to Fred and say, that didn't feel right to me. Can we talk about this? Because that's what he says. He says, and if uh, just between the two of you, you know, go bring Frank and Paul into it, just the two of you. Now, If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Solves the issue. But if he will not listen, take one or two others. So now we'll get Frank and Paul in on it. And um, we'll go to him so that every matter may be established 
by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is Old Testament legal principle. If you take someone to court in the Old Testament, bring two or three witnesses. That's what he's saying here. If you're moving towards it and he's not responding, bring a couple other witnesses with you to talk to him. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, then take it to a broader audience, to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, uh, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so someone rips you off or whatever, and they're not willing to make it right. And you go through these steps and you say, hey, you can't be a part of Rocky Peak anymore until we get this right. Because we don't want people here that are wicked at Rocky Peak who are, who are living a wicked lifestyle and, and, and thinking they're inheriting the kingdom of God. You know, we just can't have that. And so, so we looked at that last week. Okay, so, so here's the process. Paul says you move towards it. And that's exactly what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 6. There's a problem, move towards it. Uh, and you see here in Matthew 18, you start off simple. If it doesn't, if it can't solve it simply, we'll bring other people in. Might have to get some arbitration, like, like Paul says in chapter 6. He says that's what you do. I like to call this, these conversations clarifying conversations. And it's a very helpful term to me because lots of times when we think of conflict, we think of confrontation. And when you think of conflict in terms of confrontation, who wants to do that? That sounds like a war, right? So who wants to go to war? But if you're having a clarifying conversation, all you're doing is going to the brother or sister, to Fred, and you're saying, hey, Fred, I don't know what you meant by that, but I just feel kind of funny about what you said about my wife. And could we talk about that? And, and just saying, what did you mean? This is how it came across to me. What did, it, what did you mean by it? And we just kind of lay it out there. And we just have a conversation, a clarifying conversation. What did you mean? And Fred may see, feel a need to apologize. He, we, maybe we misunderstood or whatever. But we seek a solution. So that's option number one. Option number one, you have a problem with someone. You move towards the problem. You seek a solution. But Paul gives us a second option. Now, if the first one seems really natural, yeah, we should just do that. The second one is going to seem totally unnatural, right? So the second one goes like this, that we will forgive it and let it go. Paul says you have a second option. You don't have to go confront everything. You don't have to go have the conversation. There's times you just say, you know what? That Fred said that, and I don't know, maybe he's having a bad day. I'm just going to let it go. I forgive it. We're not going to complain to everyone else. We're just going to forgive it. We're going to let it go. Now, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 6 again, Paul describes this option, option number two, verse 7. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated. Then here's his option. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? He says, that's an option. You have an option when someone offends you just to let it go, just to be cheated, just to be wrong. That's an option that you have. You don't have to take it, but it's an option. Now, this also comes from Jesus. So let's go back and see what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of a famous section. Verse 38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, this is an Old Testament statement. Um, In the Old Testament, in their legal system, one of the basic rules was that you, um, when someone does something wrong, that you treat them in the same way as they wronged, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was not only a guideline, a judicial guideline, it was also a judicial limitation. Like if someone... Uh, breaks into your house, you can't go out and kill them, right? Like, okay, and they, they ripped off your cow. You can't go kill them just because you're so mad. It limits it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So it's a, it's a good basic judicial principle. And Jesus says, that was good. He says, but for, for followers of mine, for followers of mine, he says, um, I'm introducing a new ethic, a new way of doing life, a new way of thinking. And here it is. Uh, do not resist an evil person, verse 39, but I tell you, uh, if, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And I don't think he means this in an over-legalistic way. We won't get into that. But verse 40, but if someone wants to sue you, so that would be like 1 Corinthians 6, right? They're suing you. Um, and, 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 uh, and takes your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, like a Roman soldier had the right to do that, then go with him two miles. And so Jesus introduces a whole new way of dealing with conflict. He says that one of the things he might call us to 
would be to um, actually forgive, uh, to let it go, to go the extra mile. And that's what Paul's saying in Second in First Corinthians 6. Hey, why not rather be cheated? It's an option we have. Rather than going to court and bringing down the name of Christ, why not just let it go? Why not just forgive? Now, uh, this is pretty radical, isn't it? I don't know if there's anything that goes against our human nature more than our desire not to forgive. Have you noticed this? I've learned so much theology on the freeways. <laughs> Have you ever noticed when someone cuts you off that your natural reaction is not to bless them in the name of Jesus? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that our first response is not, Oh, you go first. You must be in a hurry. I'm sure you have much uh, more important things than I have to deal with, right? No, no. Our natural response when someone cuts us off is to let them know in some way. Maybe a friendly honk on the horn. Um, a, a wave of various sorts. Um, uh, here's one. We maintain the distance, you know, like six inches from their bumper for the next ten miles so that they realize how they cut us off, you see? <laughs> yeah, I'm not pulling back. I'm just going to keep where I am. Not. And I, I know these things because I've, I've watched people <laughs> do this. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so being a student of human nature, <laughs> but isn't it true that when someone does us wrong, there is like, oh, the whole universe is out of alignment until retribution is is brought to bear. Isn't that true? And so here comes Jesus saying, okay, if we're going to be a follower of mine, we've got to change the way we think here. We're going to change the way we think about retribution. We're going to change the way we think. And we're actually, we're going to let people off the hook sometime. We're going to let them off the hook. We're going to let us cut us off in traffic, and we're going to let let, let them go. We're going to say, you know what? I'm going to let you off the hook. That was wrong. That was an offense. I'm just going to let it go. Oh, didn't that kill you? It, this is just hard stuff, isn't it? It's just like everything within us rebels against this. But you, if you stop and think about it, this is the heart of the gospel. I mean, stop and think about it. What do we believe as Christians? That Jesus died to take on my offenses so that I wouldn't have to be held responsible for them, so that I could be forgiven, and so that I cannot be an enemy of God, I can be a friend of God. So Jesus overlooks my offenses for the sake of our relationship. Isn't that the heart of the gospel? The heart of, and so Jesus says, if you're going to be a follower of mine, I want you to treat others the way I've treated you. I want it to let it go. Oh, no, Jesus, we can't do that. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. This is what it means to be my follower. Um, one of my favorite quotes about forgiveness is there in your note sheet from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. Let me tell you something. If you're a follower of Jesus, this whole forgiveness thing, it's at the core of who you're called to be. And it's also the key to your freedom. I want you to think with me for just a second. Any of you ever heard of a prayer called the Lord's Prayer? Anyone heard of that? <laughs> okay, good. Two of you. Um, okay, our Father who art in heaven. Is it bringing back any memories now? <laughs> All right. And you get back to that part and he says, um, we get to the end, we've asked for our daily bread. Okay, now we're honing in. And he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? Forgive us our debts. So, so sin is like a debt. It's something we owe to God. It's like a, a bill that we need to pay. So forgive us our bills to you in the same way that we forgive our bills to others. Oh. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh. Really? Are we really going to ask God to forgive us in the same way that we forgive others? How many times have you prayed that prayer? God, I would like you to forgive me in the same way that I forgive others. Oh, you get nervous yet? Anyone get nervous? 
is starting to go, oh no, I've said that prayer thousands of times. What if he takes me seriously? <laughs> you know, I've, I've talked to some people before and they'll say, well, I know we're supposed to forgive and I'll forgive most people. But if you knew what they did to me, I will never forgive that person for this thing. It's just too big. And then we go to God and say, okay, would you forgive me in the way I forgive others? Oh, sure. I'll forgive you all the little things, but there's one big thing you did in 73. (laughs) It was just too big. You see, forgive us our debts. See, in the Bible, forgiveness is sort of like uh, turning our debts over for God to let him be our collection agency. A week or two ago, I, I got a, Really nice uh, letter from Adelphia. Uh, it was really nice. It's normally they're white, but this was pink. I'm sure it was special. Um, and they informed me that I, I hadn't paid my bill in a while. I thought once a year is good enough. I don't know what's wrong with them. But, uh, and so that uh, my cable service was going to be shut off. And so I overlooked paying a bill. And so what they said is that, um, you know, we're going to send, turn this over by in the state to a collection agency, Right? which I thought was a little harsh, but anyway. And it would be like one missed thing, but anyway. But you know how a collection agency works. A collection agency says, okay, you owe me, um, Adelphia says, Mike Yearly, you owe me $102. And you haven't paid me $102, and so I'll tell you what, I'm taking your debt, we're wiping it off our books, we're giving it over to this other agency. You can deal with them. You don't owe us anymore, you're going to owe these people. That's what a collection agency, Right? This is what God asks us to do when people sin against us, that we wipe the debts off our book and we turn the debt over to God and say, it's now in your books, you deal with it. We're free of it. Okay, see, that's that's what uh, happened. Now, this is so core to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's amazing to me how often we just miss this. This forgiveness thing is not really optional equipment of the Christian life. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others. I'm not saying it's easy. It's saying one of the hardest things in life. But let's take a look look at a couple passages where uh, the Apostle Paul hammers us home. Take your Bibles. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 15. Little book to the right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 15. Let's look at two passages real quickly where Paul underlines this principle. Verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. So here's what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, that whole turn the other cheek thing and all. What he's teaching is we should never allow someone else's bad behavior to determine our behavior. See, that's the bottom line. See, in the old way way of thinking, it's like, hey, you do me wrong, I'm going to do you wrong. And the new way of thinking is that we will never do anyone wrong because they did us wrong, we will always do people right regardless. We will not allow the calling on our life is to do the right thing regardless of how they've treated us. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's core, you see. We saw it in the Sermon on the Mount. Here we see it again. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But we're going to see it even more clearly in the next passage. Turn to the left, to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We'll look at verse, uh, start at verse 17. He says, uh, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So there we see it again. Don't let others control us. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, of course, sometimes there's some people that they're impossible, but if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But here it comes, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, God says, it is mine to avenge, my job to avenge, and I will repay. So God says, when someone is in your debt, uh, someone owes you, it says, turn the bill over to God, our collection agency. God will repay. God will collect on that. God knows how to weigh it all out, how to measure it. He will take care of it. But it's our job to let it go. 
And verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, don't let others' evil move us to do evil. We're to love one another and seek each other's highest good regardless of how someone treats us. That's our calling. Are we always going to do it well? No, but this is our calling. This is what we're growing up to be. We're gonna, we, we grow up. That's what we're going to look like, okay? Now, this is so hard, and I'll tell you what. I find it especially hard in the church because in the church, we just have higher standards for one another. It's not only should Fred not be rude to my wife, he should know better. If it's Fred from my office, he's rude to everyone. But now Fred's, he's like in my life group. He should know better. Wasn't he there for that sermon on the power of words just a couple months ago? He should know better, you see. But here's the thing. I want you to catch this. One of the mark of a strong believer, okay? This is so important. The mark of a strong believer is their willingness to forgive a weak believer. I mean, one of the marks of a strong believer in the body of Christ is the willingness to forgive and overlook the weaknesses of their weaker brothers. And this is what Paul says we're, we're called to. Okay, um, now this is so important. This whole forgiveness issue, it's not only important for the health of our body or the health of the marriage or the health of the family or whatever, but it's also incredibly important for your personal health. Because when we refuse to forgive someone, if you have someone in your life that you're refusing to live, what is happening is you're a prisoner of your own bitterness. See, when there's someone in our life that we will not forgive, we are tied to them with an emotional cord and we can never really fly free. Uh, our life will revolve around that person. Let, let me give you an example. When I was a boy, they used to have these planes, and uh, I don't even know if they still have them now, but um, they, were, they had remote control you know, model airplanes. Um, but they also had, th- these were like a lower budget model. They had a plane, and it would have an engine on it, a motor on it, and it would fly. But it would have a cord on it, like a string on the thing. And you had a control box there. And so what you'd do is you'd start off, you'd start the engine, and then uh, you'd start like going like this. And you, you'd just let out a little bit of the line, you start throwing it, and, you, and, thing like, and you go around, just let it, and the more you go around, you let out, you'd let out string as you're doing this. Until you do it, pretty soon you fall over because you're so dizzy. But anyway... Pretty soon you get this thing out there, and now it's way out there, so you can turn around kind of slowly, and you just let this thing fly, you know? But the thing, the thing about this is that the plane is not really free to fly. It's really attached by that line to you, and you are controlling it by, with the control box, right? So it's really not free to do what a plane should do, which is fly off and explore. It's tied to the control person. Okay, I tell you something. That when we don't forgive people in our life, we give them the control box of our life. And our life just revolves around them. And you have these brain debates, don't you? It's like, I can't believe that they would do that. How could they get away with that? How could they call themselves a Christian? I can't believe that. I'm going to talk to Susie about that. You see? And our life, what do we do? That offense that was in our life, we revolve around that offense, don't we? And we are not free to move into the future God has for us because we are tied to that offense in the past. You see, it, this, this bitterness thing, we have got to cut that if we're going to move, cut that cord if we're going to move into uh, the future that God has. And I tell you what, the more painful the offense, the shorter the rope on that plane. You know, the nice thing is when, you, when, you, when you're uh, starting off letting that plane out, you're, you're turning around pretty fast because you, you, you have to to keep this thing in the air. You just got a short, short rope on it. But, you know, after you get it out a long way, so you just turn slowly around it. Well, I'll tell you something. The deeper the pain, the deeper the hurt, the deeper the bitterness, the faster we have to turn. And we lose our balance emotionally. We, we become dizzy emotionally, spiritually, you see, because that plane is controlling uh, our life. That person is controlling our life. So the Apostle Paul... Uh, it says, okay, Corinthians, you come to Christ, you've got to learn how to do conflict a new way. One option is when there's a, a conflict in the body, move towards it, seek a solution. That's a very positive option. But he said that another option is that there are times where, for whatever reason, you just have to let things go. You just have to forgive it, be cheated, be wronged. It's okay. The world won't end. Let it go. And you know what? This is an amazing thing. Is when, the more we learn to forgive, the more free we are. There's something within us that says, no, we have to get back. But there's a, once we let go of that, 
We, there's a new freedom in our life. We can just move on, enjoy our life. It was a painful thing. We, we're moving on. You know, we're, we're healing. We're going on, you see. So he says, either do it. You move towards it or you forgive it and you let it go. Those are two options. But notice what he, he doesn't say. Here's what is not an option. What is not an option is to just withdraw from the relationship, to pretend there's not a problem, to ignore it, to go on the attack, to gossip, to slander. See, these are not options for us as Christians. And any family that entertains them as options, any church that entertains them as options, any life group that entertains them, it will destroy the body of Christ. You see, it will lead to bitterness and division and factions. All the things the Bible says are not from the Spirit, but are from the flesh, okay? So, so he says, you got those two options. Now, on the back of your note sheet, there's one more thing I want to touch on before we end. And I want to ask a question, and I think it'll be helpful. The question is simply this. Why is it so hard to move towards conflict? You know, we've talked about the most obvious thing in the world is just to go to Fred and say, hey, Fred, you offended me. Can we talk about this? And yet that's the last thing we do. So why is it? Can I tell you something? I mentioned this earlier, but I'm pretty convinced in life that moving towards conflict is one of the top two or three things that are hard to do in terms of relationships. This is really hard stuff. Can we just admit this? This is hard. You know, this is not easy. Okay, so it's really hard. So the question is, why is it so hard? Well, here's an answer that's often given. I find when you talk to someone, you ask them why they don't move towards it. Well, we often say it's out of concern for the other person. We don't want to move towards this. We don't want to hurt Fred. We don't want to create a bigger problem with Fred. Um, and so out of our concern for Fred, we're not moving towards this problem. That's what we often say. But can I tell you something? It's not the truth. It's not the truth. Very seldom is that the truth. Here's the truth. The reason we don't move towards conflict, is a four-letter word. It's the word fear. And you say, what kind of fear? Well, let me give you some examples. I think the biggest fear is the fear of rejection. Even big, tough guys, big, strong guys, yet why not? It's, there's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of reaction, how the person might respond. And there's something about this is very threatening to us as people. That if I come to you and confront you, you may hate me. You may explode at me. You may get angry at me. And so I'm not going to move towards you. Now, here's what's so important. This is so important we understand why we don't do it. Because as long as we believe that the reason we're not moving towards conflict is because of our true concern for the other person, it will allow us to rationalize not doing what Jesus said to do. See, as long as we see, oh, the reason I'm not moving towards conflict, it's out of love for the other person, it will allow us to rationalize what Jesus said, no, 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 when there's conflict, you need to move towards it. You see, as long as we can fool ourselves. But the moment we begin to see, oh, it's not about them, the reason I, I want to talk to Fred, it's about me. I don't want to have that conversation with Fred. It scares me to death. You know what this feeling, right? When you have conflict with someone, you think, I need to go talk to them. What happens? Your stomach starts getting upset. You know, your pulse starts quickening. I mean, even in a marriage, I don't want to talk to my wife anymore about this. This is scary, you know, whatever. And this is, see, it's a fear thing. And once we, we realize it's a fear, then we move into a position where now we can really go to God with that fear and say, Jesus, you've been very clear with me in your word how I'm to deal with conflict. I'm to move towards it or I'm to forgive it. And I don't want to move towards it, but I know that you asked me to. I know that's what I need to do. And so can you help me with this? And we go to Christ for strength to do what we're supposed to do all along. It becomes an issue of obedience. It becomes an issue of character. You see, as long as we can rationalize it, that we're caring for the other person, we will never do the hard thing. But once we realize it's not about them, it's about, it's about me. My fear, now it becomes, it moves into the arena. This is an issue of obedience. It's an issue of character. And now I've got to take that step. And I've got to go to God for help. You know, here at uh, Rocky Peak, we have a, uh, a commitment. It's called the Company of the Committed. When a person decides to become a member of Rocky Peak, they make seven commitments to the Lord, to the fellowship, and to the leadership at Rocky Peak. And number four on that list is right relationships. 
But we make a commitment. We will learn how to do relationships a new way. And this is core. This whole thing of conflict, moving towards conflict, it's core part of number four. It's a huge part of it. And once we quit rationalizing it, then we can say, okay, I need some help. Now, here's what I've found, just real practically. If you're sitting here and you're saying, boy, uh, you know, I, I don't do conflict well. I know I don't co- conflict well. You're right. It scares me. I don't want to handle it. And so here's my suggestion. But I, I want to follow Jesus in this. I want to learn how to do life a new way. I want to grow in this area. Here's my suggestion, is that when you have to deal with conflict, my encouragement is that you would find someone in your life who you respect, who does do conflict fairly well, and who would be willing to mentor you just in that conflict area. They'd be able to sit down with you and, and they'd be able to talk through, hey, here's a conversation I need to have. I don't know how to have this. I've never done this. I grew up in a family. We didn't do conflict well. I've never learned conflict well. I don't know how to do this. Could you walk me through this? Can you help me picture this? What that kind of conversation would look like? What would that look like? And I found it so helpful. We almost, almost for sure need a mentor like this in our life, a coach at that point, just to walk us through because we can't quite visualize it and we need someone to help us walk it through. And it's so helpful because when you find a coach like that or you bring someone into your life like that, not only can they help you figure out how to have the conversation, but they can help support you in the conversation because so much of it is courage. So much of it is just having the courage to go and do it. And you need someone there who is rooting you on, praying for you, covering the, the confrontation, covering it in prayer. And then also they're, they're there for you when it comes back. So if it, if it goes well, you come back and say, it was not so bad. It went really well. It's great. You know, and they celebrate with you. But if it went back, well, they exploded or didn't go well, they're, they're there to help support you and say, hey, that's okay. You did the right thing. You handled it well. It's not about you. It's about them. Let's see what the next step is. You see, and they help you stay on track. And so this is where we can really help one another as brothers and sisters, being mentoring one another. If this is the area of strength, being willing to help others, and they come and say, could you help me? So, so as we grow as a church, as we move into our future, one of the most important lessons that we have to decide as a church, at every chapter, we, I say this, here's a decision we have to make as a church. And it's just so true, chapter by chapter, Paul's going to lay them out for us. You want to be a healthy church, here's what it looks like. So here's what we have to decide. We have to decide as a church, are we going to do conflict the old way? Okay, the old way that we've grown up doing it, all our lives doing it. Or are we going to learn to do it in a new way? A way we move towards it. We seek the unity. We refuse to go into bitterness. We, we see that's not an option. We're not going to do the gossip route. We're not going to do the slander route. We're not going to do the attack route. We're going to learn as a church how to do relationships the right way. And so key, it's one of the most important decisions a church ever makes is whether we're going to follow Jesus in this whole area of conflict. Let's pray together. While our uh, heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, uh, I want to give you a chance just to reflect on this message. Uh, Some of you are followers of Jesus here. You've already given your life to Christ. And there may be someone in your life that you either need to do one of two things. You either need to move towards them to have a conversation and seek a solution, or you need to just let it go. And you've been doing perhaps neither one. Maybe you're caught in no man's land. And just right now, as we go before the Lord in prayer, that you just need to have a conversation with him. They say, Lord, this week I want to explore this with you, how to handle this conflict situation. If that's you right now, I'm just going to give you a second right now before the Lord to have that conversation with him and to, to talk to him about that. And now while our eyes are closed, our heads are bowed, there's some of you here that have never given your life to Christ. You've Something with, is within you operating today, though, that you desire to know Jesus. You can't put your finger on it. You maybe not be able to put it into words, but maybe you've been coming to Rocky Peak for a while, or maybe it's today's your first day, but something within you says that there's something here that you need, that you have a hunger for God in your life, and you really want to ask Christ to come into your life and to forgive you like we were talking about earlier and to give you a fresh start and to change you from the inside out and to save a place in heaven in the kingdom of God for you. And you just really want that today. And if that's where you are, I want to lead a simple prayer right now. I'm going to pray a prayer on your behalf to Jesus. And if this expresses a desire of your heart, if you just pray along quietly to yourself and ask him into your life, dear Jesus, I ask you into my life. 
I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to send your spirit into my life to change me from the inside out. I ask you to teach me how to follow you and how to turn from the wicked things in my past. Please forgive my sins and come in and save a spot in forever with you. While our eyes are closed, our heads are still bowed. In just a minute, we are going to be taking uh, the offering and filling out registration cards. If you prayed that prayer to ask Jesus into your life for the very first time to give your life to Christ, would you just write your, I mean, a note, Mike, I gave my life to Christ, or Mike, I, I asked Jesus into my life. Something like that. We'll know what you mean. This week, we will send you a letter, the steps that you can take in your new, new journey, because that's really what it is. It's just, it's a journey with Jesus, and it's the first step you've entered into today. We'll send you a letter and we'll be praying for you this week. Father, as a congregation, now we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you died for us. We thank you that you rose for us. We thank you that you washed us and sanctified us and justified us. Lord, we thank you that one day we share your destiny, that one day we will help you rule, that one day we will help you judge. And Lord, we pray that we would live up to that and we would serve out our apprenticeship here on planet Earth well and that we would learn to deal with conflict well now that we learn to either move towards it, seek a solution, or learn to forgive it and let it go, but that we would resist the temptation to act like the rest of the world and to seek retribution or to give in to bitterness. And we pray this. You would teach us this lesson as your church. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Wow, because of your great mercy, Lord, because of the mercy he's shown to us, he calls us to show mercy to others, right? He says, um, Jesus would say to us, do unto others as I have done unto you, and go and do likewise. May this be a week that you explore these things in your life. Uh, maybe there's someone that you need to move towards uh, to resolve some conflict. Maybe there's uh, someone you need to forgive and let it go. Maybe there's an old bitterness that you just need to explore with the Lord and just recognize this is not God's will for your life. You know, that bitterness, we just know for sure, that's not his will. And so um, God taking that, that bitterness to him and asking him to heal us and to set us free. There is freedom in forgiveness. It's one of the hardest things in the world to do. Uh, I, I feel like I'm like in first grade of it, you know. But when we get there, there's tremendous freedom, isn't there? Because we are, are set free. We no longer have to be tied to this wound of the past. We're really free to fly, to be that plane that we were designed to be. May the Lord take you into that freedom this week. The word says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. May you fly high for him this week. Have a great fourth, enjoying the freedom of our our country, and we'll see you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org, where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, thanks for listening.